In the following live session recording, John Price, associate pastor of Belmont Baptist Church in Calhoun, Georgia, talks about draining the swamp. Student ministry can take all of your time, but it's usually not the only hat you wear. In this session, the listener will learn about several tools, hacks, and course corrections to get things done, feel effective, and even take a breath every once in a while. Let's join John right now. Uh, my name is John Price, and I'm the um, associate pastor at Belmont Baptist in Calhoun, Georgia, which is um, North Georgia, North Georgia Mountains. It's about 30 minutes south of Dalton. Um, I've been there for a year, and, and as I was uh, saying that I started right as school was starting, right before. So I had been out of student ministry for eight years prior to that. Uh, I've been in student ministry for, um, goodness, about 25, 26 years. I started when I was 18. Uh, and then some of my ministry has been uh, in discipleship assimilation. And so now I'm in a job that combines those. So my, my daughters are oldest, and when she started coming in the youth group is when I stepped out to do discipleship. And when she graduated, I stepped back in too. And, and so uh, it was not intentional, but uh, it was probably for the best. Uh, she is very uh, similar to me, and so I'm sure that would have been a challenge and interesting. But I've got my son, who's a senior this year, just starting, who's in my youth group. So that's, that's really neat, kind of getting that perspective and, and seeing uh, it from, from his eyes. And it also kind of helps me as I talk to the parents and talk to the church and explain that, listen, I have a vested interest in this as well, because my own son is, is in this group. And so uh, what we talk about, what we do, what we deal with, um, I, I truly have stocking. It's not just a job for me. But um, started when um, I was 18 years old in um, Bradenton, Florida. Anna Maria uh, is, is where I'm from. I tell people that I grew up in the north in South Florida. So um, <laughs> mostly around people from Michigan and Ohio and Iowa, that sort of thing. And then um, went to Birmingham for college, which, uh, to Sanford, and then uh, Southwestern for my uh, master's, and have served in Texas and Alabama, Georgia. So um, I was at First Baptist Villarica for 15 years prior uh, to, to coming to Belmont. And so I've had a lot of fun um, in Georgia, in Georgia Baptist, and, and all that that involves. Being being involved with uh, Super Wow and, and Impact Camps. And I don't know if any of y'all done any of the Impact or Super Wow Camps. Okay, um, good, good, good camps. And, and of course the folks at the state are fantastic. When I first came, Scott Kendig, Doug Couch were, um, were heading that up. And now uh, the guys, um, Mike and Cameron are, are fantastic as well. So if you're not using them as resources, please, know that they're there. They are fantastic folks and um, just good people too. So uh, today we're going to be talking about, I've, I've titled our time together and we have about an hour and 15 minutes. So um, that's never enough time when you talk about all that, that we have that we're dealing with and how can we make it work, so to speak. So I'm calling this draining the swamp. Uh, one, because when Mike asked me to, to lead it, it was kind of a, 
you know, a phrase that was going around a lot, but also this idea that when you think about ministry, when you think about life in general, just because of our pace, we are all swamped. And so when we look at expectations, when we look at, at everything that can be done and, and could be done and sometimes should be done, uh, we wonder how it's all going to get done. And so uh, we're going to talk about some of these things, hopefully refine uh, what we're called to be about. And this is one of those things where I want to hear from you, your thoughts, uh, what your challenges are, and things that are helping you in the process, not just with ministry, uh, but with every area of your life, because um, your ministry is affected and effective based on every area of your life. So uh, I want to start out asking um, a couple questions, and let's, uh, let's do this. If we can split up the room between uh, Derek and Harold, and you guys kind of just group up real quick. Um, I want to talk about, have y'all talk about what are the factors that help you determine how to spend your time, how to spend your focus, and uh, spend your energy, okay? So get together in groups and, and, and talk about what are some of those factors that you identify that help you determine how am I going to spend my time, where am I going to put my focus, and, and how am I going to spend my energy? Uh, so go ahead and just kind of talk together, and then we'll hear from each group. All right, guys. If everybody wants to just uh, turn this way, let's hear what what your thoughts were. Um, we we are kind of starting off talking about expectations and how you spend and focus your time, uh, your energy, your resources, focus. Um, we have a limited supply, right? And so if somebody will kind of represent this group over here, what were some of the things that you uh, thought of when you say, okay, here are the things that are priorities for me, so they need to make sure that, um, that I consider them? What would those be? Um, so we talked about, like, first and foremost, like, our faith and making sure that we are pouring into, or, like, investing in the gospel and into the Word. Um, and then we talked about just different relationships. Now, are you whether, talking about personally? Yes, personally. Okay. Yeah. And then we talked about relationships, whether that be with spouses or your like your own kids um, and things of that nature. And talking about like how sometimes we find ourselves putting our spouses and our kids and stuff on like the back burner when it comes to our youth ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we talked about relationships with our youth students and. Like me personally, I've talked about how some of our youth kids were really shocked when I asked for sports schedules because it was almost like their youth minister that they were used to was only pouring into them and only like around them when they were inside of the church. Um, and so just taking that extra step and trying to pour into them outside of church. Um, and so that was really our three, was just the, like the relationships with personal stuff, with youth ministry, and then our faith. Okay, great. Anybody in this group want to add to that? Okay. Excellent. All right. Nobody, nobody felt underrepresented there? Okay. All right. 
How about this group over here? When you're thinking about focus and anything you want to add to or expound on? I mean, we were just talking about how your focus gets shifted to like, who's there? Are we, you know, are we bringing in enough people? Mm-hmm. You don't, if you think about the numbers more than what, what you're doing for who you have mm-hmm. there at the time. And then um, one of them said, you know, you have a lot of like other little fires within the church that you have to put out. Mm-hmm. So you end up putting your youth on the back burner. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's great. So some of these are, are kind of things that maybe, <coughs> excuse me, um, you might uh, say, I got, I got to take care of my faith first. Come on in. It's kind of like the, the oxygen mask in yeah. a plane. You got to put it on you before you put it on your kid. Um, you have to take care of your own spiritual growth and development and uh, maturity before you can help others. And we, we know plenty of folks. I mean, it is unfortunately um, not new stories when we hear of moral failure, when we hear of burnout, yeah. when we hear of people disqualifying themselves uh, through just poor handling of conflict or poor priorities, or uh, a family imploding. Um, so that, you know that would also come come down here as well. So this idea of I've got to make sure that that I I am communing with God, and we'll we'll talk about some of that in just a little bit. Um, interpersonal relationships, ministry can be a very lonely uh, place. I had a professor um, tell me one time. He said, "People in your church." want you to be honest about yourself until you are. <laughs> so uh, there is that, there's, you know, there's that sense of, I don't know that I'd have shared that, you know, but, but we're people just like everybody else. We have the same struggles. We have the same issues. We have the same temptations. We have the same breaking points. And uh, so, um, you know, if, if we're not uh, intentional about building around us people, whether they're in our church or outside of our church, that we can be honest with and open with and, and feel like people are hearing us and we can kind of go back and forth. We're just, um, we're setting ourselves up for uh, neuroses and, and for just unhealth in, in so many areas of our life. And of course, hearing what y'all were saying about family, um, man, I tell you, I was a young minister, in fact, newly married. I've been married 22 years now, and I went to a youth specialties conference, and one of the keynote speakers was Andy Stanley, and he, he was given a talk on choosing to cheat. And I think he's written a book about it since and stuff, but he, he talked about you can never be done with everything in ministry. And so you can be the most well-intended person, have a heart for the lost, have a heart for your kids, have a heart, you know, and, and your family wants you to succeed. They want you to do well. And they will hold that rock uh, of, of waiting for you while you pour yourself in, but they can only hold that rock for so long. And so um, somewhere, because the expectations are so great in, in every area of your life, uh, you can't get done, so somewhere you got to cheat is, is kind of his way of saying, mm-hmm. recognize 
those things, recognize those priorities. And he, and he said, you will not be the first youth pastor at your church. You won't be the last youth pastor. But hopefully, you'll be the, the last and only husband or wife to your spouse and the only dad or mom to your kids. And that hit me hard. It was, it was kind of like, what are those irreducibles? What are those things that, because really your family is your ministry. I mean, part of ministry is modeling. And, um, and I'll tell you, uh, th- when I was um, 18, 19, 20, and a young minister, and, and I, I was kind of in this little isolated bubble, uh, I mean, you want to talk about crazy, just the, the thoughts that were bouncing up around in here that I didn't have somebody to, to process. And I was in an unhealthy church staff environment. It was it was rough, and I almost dropped out of ministry because of it. Um, I, I went to seminary to to heal, to escape. And so, wow. uh, you know, can you talk about that? It was, it, it, yeah, it, it was one of those things where I, I see, you know, I love these kids. There is a huge need. God is doing amazing things, but if I do not leave, I will not continue. And so. Um, I think we get there. I think we sometimes get to the end of our rope when we think about all the things that we're swamped with, right? Uh, and, and sometimes, if we're not careful, our marriage suffers. Our, um, man, I tell you, uh, I, I worked for a pastor who, uh, he's got four kids, and two when he had when he was a young minister, and two when he was later on in life, and he said, man, the dynamics between my relationship with my older kids and my younger kids is totally different, because with my older kids, I was all about the ministry, and they suffered because of it. They didn't get my attention, and now I see the importance of it, and so I'm pouring to them, and so, yeah, that's, that's a huge one. That's a huge one, but having family and friends is a, is a priority. Relational ministry, understanding that, that spiritual growth happens in context of relationship is big. And, you know, the old axiom, people don't care what you know till they know how much you care. That idea that um, what you do uh, in, outside of the classroom or outside of the Bible study is, is going to do far more in them being teachable and hearing. Uh, in fact, I was just reading something yesterday that um, when, it, when, it, uh, when you look at how people begin to uh, go from desire to change, they really start, I want to grow in my faith. It, it is typically when the friends, their friends and relationships in the church begin to outweigh their friends and relationships outside of the church. In other words, there's that tipping point. And it's not church and non-church. It's, it's relationships of those who are after God and those who are not. And so if you think about in your own times of your life where you had those spiritual leapfrog moments where you look back and think about, is it not true that there were some people around you that that was a priority for them? And it was kind of a contagious thing. But that, that And listen, cults use this as well. They isolate they build relationships, and pretty soon there's that tipping point where people don't have anything to do with their families anymore. They shut out all the other relationships. But the importance of relationships in ministry is huge. Now, I would say these are healthy priorities, but I think, listen, these things right here are very real as well. Um, 
you, you have to, I mean, you're always hearing this idea of what is success. Am I having, you know, I, I remember my first youth ministry. I started out, I was 18, I had five kids. And, um, and when it rained, I had zero kids. <laughs> so I remember sitting outside, uh, you know, just watching it rain. And I had had my talk ready. I had, and I was just like, I feel guilty about getting a paycheck. Now, my ch- paycheck was not big, but I was sitting there going, I'm not successful. I, you know, I don't have my five kids. And, um, you know, when, you get, when you're small like that and you have one kid, you're, oh, we grew 20%. You know, we're <laughs> awesome. We're really doing well. You don't have, but John, did you have something? Yeah, I wanted to ask, I don't know if you guys, in the churches that you've served, but mm-hmm. do you guys ever have uh, performance reviews, reviews of your ministry? Like, are any of the places you stopped at, had that kind of mechanism to give you feedback, but then also gauge where your ministry is going. Yeah, and I and I think that um, that is a that's a fine line. Right. Uh, and I and I've had um, I've had some leadership where it is about numbers, mm-hmm. um, and and so there's that sense of performance that you know if you're not careful. And this happens in the teaching world. Anybody who's an educator yeah. in schools and All stuff. My wife is educated. Yeah, my, my wife in education is there is this huge because uh, how a school gets funded mm-hmm. is based on testing Test scores. scores, right? And so people teach to the test, and there is there is a huge temptation to fudge somehow mm-hmm. and to get those scores up uh, because you live or die by your scores. And so there is there is. Um, yeah, there's that in ministry as well. Mm-hmm. So when we think about, and then this, you know, I would call this tyranny of the urgent. <laughs> that, that's something that priorities happen because they're just fires that you got to put out. So these are, these are all factors in determining. Let me ask you this. What are some things, uh, whether they're in this list or not, that you, would, that you say, I, I got to fight for these things. I got to fight to make sure these things are priorities. I, I think family is one. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, there was a, a, a letter um, going around that you specialties had for for years, and it was it was a letter called um, well, I, I don't want to give it away, but it was a, a letter written by a woman talking about her husband who's a youth pastor, and he was awesome. She said he gives a, he gives one hundred ten percent. He loves our kids. The the, the, the student ministry growing, um, and you know he's giving one hundred ten percent, and that's why I left him. You know, yeah. and it was like, because after 110%, there's not much left for us. And so um, there are some things you're going to have to fight for, and you might have to have some uncomfortable conversations, and you might have to battle that inner feeling of success or expectations, or I could be doing more, or I should be doing more, because everybody loves to ride high, uh, because that same place that I was at, when I had five kids, I came back, I actually worked there three different times, because I came back after school and stuff, and, and I had established a couple college kids to help work, and we, we just kind of exploded. We, we went from like five kids um, to when I, when I left, there were 10, and then I came back, and there were 10, and we grew to 15, and, and then we were, there were 25 and 30, and then we had like 80 kids. And so we had, the, you know, like every youth ministry, the worst room in the church. <laughs> it was an old water tank. And, uh, you know, we grew till there weren't rooms for chairs, and so kids sat on the floor. We grew until we'd have 15 kids sitting in the hallway, mm-hmm. and it, was, and it wasn't because I was awesome. 
It was because kids were hungry. Um, and so, I mean, my Bible studies were a train wreck. I would literally open my Bible. Kids are sitting there. I'm like, uh, let's do this. And I would ramble for 45 minutes. But my evangelist you know, strategy was kids coming in my office saying, how can I be a part of this? You know, well, let me tell you, that's that doesn't happen often. And when it does, yay. But and, and so, you know, the numbers thing was was cool then. But there's been times, too, where, you know, we were riding high and then our we had a, a rotation of leadership and our praise band was like, eh. and and so the same night we had our CD release party for them was their last night because they were going to go somewhere else. And our group went from, you know, ah, to, you know, and so you cannot put your value in that. Um, so when we look at priorities, we recognize there are some things we need to fight for. I would say um, this is super important, super important. One thing that we've not put up here that I think is very super important is our health. Listen, I, I think that uh, because of the way that uh, a, a lot of times we have that Greek mentality instead of the Hebrew mentality. Okay, the Greek mentality is it's all about the mind, it's think thinking, it's belief, it's that kind of thing. But that wrestle with Galatians and James is it's your whole self, it's your whole body, and your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you're not taking care of yourself in the way that you eat, in the way that you rest, and it, it, it takes energy to love people, right? Um, it, it comes easier to some than others. <laughs> so if you're not taking care of your health, and insurers hate. Insuring ministers, because we have typically sedentary jobs. Y'all can attest to this, right? Uh, we have sedentary jobs. We sit and look at a computer, or we, you know, we eat terribly. It's almost a point of honor. Uh, I remember that old you know, joke of the pastor talking about their fried chicken graveyard, you know, and, and uh, that, that we take terrible uh, views of our health because we don't think it's important. But it's very important. Very important because there is a tilt between um, ministering to and needing to be ministered to if we're not taking care of ourselves. So we want to have the energy. We want to have the focus. We want to make sure that we're good stewards of, of what God has given us. So those are, those are important things. But I think at, at, so that kind of helps us whittle down understanding what's important when we think about the factors and the priorities. But I think these things will help us as well. Uh, let's just kind of um, talk about these things real quick. What are you called to do as a Christian and a minister? When you think about scripturally what Jesus said, what Paul said, what John said, what, you know, what do we see in the New Testament that we are called to do as Christians and as ministers? Preach the gospel. Okay. Yeah. Preach the gospel. Make disciples. Okay. kind of cliche but I mean starts with knowing God you know then making known but yeah um, it's very fundamental as far as just know God our relationship yeah all right so I would I would uh, say there are two things when I look at the scriptures as Christians that we're called to do all Christians are called to, and, and these are all right. I mean, I, I'm, but but to clarify um, and to be concise, we're all called to make disciples. In fact, we're called to make disciples who make disciples. Second Timothy two two, 
where Paul says to Timothy, just like I taught you, find good men that you can teach so that they can teach others. That's four generations of disciples making disciples, right? And so making disciples is something that we are all called to do. Another thing that we're all called to do is it's really, um, it's really the one command of the new covenant. Uh, you know, when, when um, Jesus was asked, you know, if you boil down the law, what is it? And, and Jesus actually responded like all good rabbis would have responded, is love the Lord with all your heart and love your neighbors yourself, right? Okay, that wasn't original Jesus, that was. But Jesus later amended that and said, a new command I give you is, is what? Love others as I have loved you. Okay? That is just like uh, Lee Iacocca. That is job one. That is discipleship. That is what discipleship is, is to um, love others as Jesus loved us. And we have to have that qualifier. Because when we come up with our own definition of what love is, it gets warped, right? So, so when, we, when we think we are called to be disciples, we are called to make disciples. And, and a good definition of, of being a disciple is learning to live and love like Jesus. Okay? So if, if the command to be a disciple and make disciples is to love others as Jesus loved us, that's what discipleship is, just learning to live and love like Jesus. So that's a, that's a clarifying thing right there. What, what am I called to do as a Christian? I'm called to, to make disciples. I'm called to be a disciple. I'm called to love others as Jesus loved me. What about as ministers? What are we called to do? Starts with an E. And then a Q. <laughs> and then a U. And then an I. Equip the saints. That is, a, that is one of the things as, the, as a minister we're called to do is to equip the saints. Um, and now, this is, this is crazy, but Dallas Willard has a quote that he said, and, and he, I think it's meant to be hyperbolic and to shock uh, and, and to kind of make you think, but he says, um, pastors, ministers, church leaders should pay uh, people outside the church the same regard that they pay to Jesus. It is, the, it is the emphasis and the role of the church leader to disciple those who are in church. And when they do that, they will impact the world. Okay, I think that we can be so focused on, let's get them all in, let's get the seats full, um, and we forget that really, I don't know what your budget's like, but my budget can always be bigger. And even with a bigger budget, I can never compete with what those kids have in their hand with, yeah. the, with the smartphone. There's no way, yeah. no way. And, and, but here's the thing, here's the beauty of it, is that's not, that's not the best I have to offer. The best I have to offer is the gospel, is, is life-changing transformation. And so we have to lead with what's most important, is, is the gospel, is helping our kids get it so that they can be disciples who make disciples. All right? Um, now, here's, here's a, a refining question as well. What are you paid to do? What are those expectations? And, and, and under that, uh, I say, what, what does your pastor expect? Guys, that, that's actually a, an important question to ask. What does your church expect? 
what is, you know, when you look at, uh, we all get into ministry for different reasons. Hopefully, we all feel called to it. But there are things about ministry that we personally love. You know, it might be you love to teach, or you love to hang out with kids, or you love to to plan and budget retreat. You're weird if you do, but that might be your thing. And and, and so you come at it uh, naturally through what you love to do. I love tech stuff. I love to video and video edit, and it's just fun to me. But here's the thing: if I'm not careful, that takes up way too much of my time, and I'm not doing what I'm expected to do. I'm not doing what I'm paid to do. I'm not doing what my pastor, my boss, expects of me. So one of the things, when you think about all that has to be done, all that could be done, is talk to your pastor. Talk to your leadership team and say, listen, what is most important to you? And if you understand what is most important to them, I'll say, you know, in my role, I'm, I'm associate pastor of discipleship, and students. Right now, student ministry is what needed triage. And so that has been my go-to. It takes a lot of time. You guys know that. But I talked to my pastor after this year and said, okay, what is your priority for me? And guess what? He did not say student ministry. He said, I need you, for me, it's these things right here. I had to realign my schedule, my focus, and understanding. Here's what success looks like for my pastor. And so that's an important thing to think about. What does your family expect? Um, listen, don't give them leftovers. Model and create and, and etch out time that you can do not just um, qua uh, quality, but, but quantity, both. Um, here's another one. Who do you want to be? You know, it might be that you're in a position or in a setting or even in a church that you're like, you know, the direction, the vision, that kind of thing is not necessarily how I identify with what I'm called to do, what the direction I'm, I'm called to be. You might be in um, churches where you're just the perfect fit. You might be in, in places where you're like, you know what, I don't know that I'm the best person here. Is there, you know, and, and that might be a, it's a difficult conversation, but one to have. And then, um, what do you hope to accomplish when you get to the end? Whether it's the end of your tenure at a church and you step away from that, uh, or um, your ministry and looking back, uh, you know, if you don't kind of think of those things now, what do I want a graduating student from my ministry to look like? What do I want their characteristics to be? Kind of draw that image and work backwards. What's it going to take? Um, and, and do that with your own ministry. If you're like, this is who I want to be, this is what I want to accomplish, then you're going to need to um, have that end goal and say, what are the steps that it's going to take to get to that point? All right. Now, of, of all that we've discussed right now, how would you rate these things in order of importance? It can be over there. Can be over here. Number one is your faith. I don't think, like, okay, so taking care of your faith like, or preaching your faith or like make sure <coughs> your relationship is mm -hmm. where it needs to be because if that's 
Okay. Uh, we like to say, like, if your horizontal relationship is, isn't right, your vertical relationships are never going to. Yeah, so yeah. Okay. So sense. anybody push back against that? Any, everybody okay with faith being number one or right up there? Okay, all right. Yeah, without that, all the fires that you're going to go put out, yeah, they become so much harder. Absolutely. They Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and really, you cannot be the husband or the wife or the parent that you, you need to be if you're not taking care of, of that first. All right? Now, we, we don't need to take time in, in lining those up, but it is a question for you to ask. When I consider these things, what are the top priorities? I will say, if you're not careful, you can let that thing run wild. Uh, because as many people are in your church, are as many expectations. Uh, and so I would take that with a grain of salt. And I think when you have in your mind, set in your mind, what you are called first and foremost to do, what is most important to you and those things that you have to fight for, health, family, relationships, being a disciple, then that helps you to say no sometimes or to you know, uh, hand off some of the other things and help people understand. So let's uh, um, quickly uh, go through some different considerations. Um, and, and listen, pipe in. Uh, if you think of something, if you uh, have something to add, because I want this to be a collaborative thing. And, and this was kind of a 40,000 foot view of, of saying, all right, what are the expectations? What are the priorities? How am I going to start uh, right there? Um, first of all, I want to talk about briefly the myth of balance. Um, there's a lot of talk about having a balanced life uh, between ministry and family and health and all that kind of stuff. Um, there, are, there are, maybe a more accurate way to put it is understanding there are seasons in, in your life. That, that um, right now, with school starting, uh, if you're in student ministry world, you're understanding that a, this is a season of crazy busyness. And so you just kind of um, understand and you help your family understand uh, you know, I, I remember when, I, when we came from Texas and then we're moving to Villarica. I told my wife, okay, I love you. You're not going to see me for the first couple months. <laughs> because, and, and so it was just this understanding of we're going to be hitting crazy busy time. Yeah. I'm going to make sure that, that we give, but I'm not asking you to hold that rock indefinitely. Um, so plan for the seasons. And kind of the, the Elisha effect, you know, when he had this huge victory where God allowed the rain to come after you know, years of drought. And you want to talk about a huge victory, but what happened? As soon as uh, the, the king's wife Jezebel heard what had happened and all the, the, the priests of, of Baal had been killed, she's like, oh, he is, he is dead meat. And instead of Elisha being excited about what God had just done, he went and hid and he was terrified. You see, a, a lot of times, understanding when we are susceptible, you know, you might have a big retreat, you might have a big week, a big event, weekend. Understand that sometimes afterwards you're tired, you're exhausted, you are susceptible to, to discouragement, 
to conflict. To, um, it's, it's just going to happen. So knowing that those seasons are there, building in times of rest. Um, having realistic expectations. You can't do it all. You cannot do that all. Um, and then helping people understand that you understand that you can't do it all. You see, nobody helps Superman, but everybody helps Clark, right? Um, when you have this illusion that you have it all together and you can do everything, then you are going to find yourself trying to do everything. When you are open and honest about your weaknesses, the areas that you are not strong, um, Marcus Buckingham kind of talks about this idea of of redefining strengths and weaknesses where um, strengths are those things that strengthen you, that when you do them, you look up and it's been two or three hours and you feel great and you're like, where did the time go? Weaknesses are those things that you would rather get punched in the face than have to do. For me, it's organizational stuff. Um, I hate the detailed minutia of that. And so it's okay for me to say, guys, I am weak in this area. I need help. First of all, when I say that, I'm not surprising anyone. <laughs> you know, when I reveal that, people aren't like, what? You know, what are you talking about? They know that. But it allows people to step in who love that kind of stuff, who geek out about spreadsheets and about details and about budget, to come in and shine. And here's the counterintuitive truth. We think that when we show our weakness, we are are looking like we're a poor minister. The fact of the matter is, is one, it is anti what the scripture teaches, that God has gifted us all to work together in his church. But, but here's the, the crazy part, is when you say, guys, I'm not good at this, I need help. The people that come in and do this kind of stuff, they make you look good and they sing your praises. They're like, Man, this is awesome. We love being a part of this because they feel. And so when, you, when we look at this idea of delegating, we don't want to dump. We, we want to, to, to share our weakness because the scripture says that he is made strong in our weakness. That's part of our faith anyways. It's saying, God, I came to you in my weakness. I remain in you in my weakness because it is all about giving you glory. But it is, it is handing off opportunities. Guys, if you do not delegate some of your stuff, you are going to burn out. Um, I will acknowledge that in student ministry, sometimes it's hard to delegate. Uh, because um, I have been in ministries where I had full-time secretary assistants, and it's awesome. Um, and I've been where I had no help at all. And so you might have to be creative. I've done things where I've had students that are just really good and... and um, and responsible and stuff. And I'm like, look, if you give me three hours a week, I will give you scholarship towards camps. I will, you know, I can't pay you budget wise, but I can give you free camp. I can give you free retreat. I can stuff that you can build into your budget that way might be a way to, to uh, help yourself out. But, um, and then also taking advantage of, of parents who want to help out that kind of thing. Um, so, uh, understanding that, can't be balanced all the time. Um, we are not super ministers. We are weak. There are areas where we are uh, good, but there are areas where we need other people's help. And then this idea of, you know, just like in salvation, it is not about our efforts. Um, now, we do give effort, but it's not about earning. It is about abiding. If you look at John 15, 
Uh, and it says, uh, he's talking about bearing fruit because that's something we're supposed to do as Christians. Then we have to look at how do we bear fruit? It's not an effort. When I was in Florida, we had four orange trees in our backyard, Valencia, which were awesome orange trees, juicy orange trees. And I would go out in the morning just to hear them grow oranges. And you could hear them. They would go, ah, they would grow oranges and just struggle and, and you know, grunt. And no, no. They were growing oranges because they were orange trees. And so when we understand, in John 15 it says, you bear fruit when you abide in me. Yes. It's about abiding. It is not about what we bring to the table. When we are close to God. Uh, um, the letter to Laodicean church. This is one of those things that I was taught incorrectly as a young kid and it really shaped my view of God. When, um, when uh, John is speaking to the church of Laodicea and said, you are uh, neither hot nor cold. And because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew, spew you out of my mouth. Well, at camps, at retreats, at Bible studies, I always heard that to, you know, hot meant that you were passionate for God. You were just on fire. Cold meant that you were, you know, oh, not, not on fire for God. Um, and, and God was saying, I would rather you be against me than to be lukewarm. And I'm sitting here as a kid going, well, I know me, and I know that I, I'm not always on fire and passionate about God. And so my view of God was God looking down and saying, oh, you know what, he's not passionate. Oh, he's, he blew it. And, and that was my view of God. Well, understanding the context of Laodicea, it was a wealthy church, a wealthy community. They thought they had everything. They were known for their textile, textile mills, clothes, and, and they were known for their, their hospitals, with, with especially ISAF. And so when John is talking, or, or I'm sorry, that uh, Jesus is addressing um, the church in Laodicea, he said, you think you're all that, but you are blind and naked. He hits them where they think they're their best. And then he makes this comment about the, the hot and cold and lukewarm. Laodicea had everything except for a water source. They had water piped in, hot water piped in, for, for medicinal, for cleaning purposes, and they had cold water piped in for refreshment. Okay, and so when you look at um, what, uh, when, when hot water travels a long distance, it becomes lukewarm. When cold water travels a long distance. And so it's not about, uh, you're going to be passionate, it's about, not about passion, it's about proximity. It's about abiding. And Jesus saying, when you draw close to me, you will be who I've called you and created you to be. You will be healing. You will be refreshing. You will be medicinal. You, are, you will be in your culture what you've created to be. That's a whole different view of God. And it is, I think, more in line with the New Testament and how he shows himself. So, um, understanding it is not about just us um, going 90 to nothing and, and killing ourselves with our calendar and that sort of thing. So, Let's talk about some uh, rubber hits the road real quick. Um, intentional ministry, having direction. And where's my... Okay. Let me show you the anatomy of transformation real quick. Now, this applies we, we said faith was the top priority 
Um, but this applies in how we disciple others. This applies to uh, our identity, who we want to be, who we want to become. But it starts with the idea of desire. We have to want to, so if, if the outcome, let's say in our spiritual life, is to be Christ-like, we're to be imitators of Christ, okay? Um, it starts with desire. Listen, uh, I have uh, type 2 diabetes, I have a health nurse that calls me once a month, and um, she is like, oh, well, your numbers are not where they're supposed to be, here's what you need to do, here's what you need to think. It is not information that is my problem. <laughs> I know more than my health nurse does when it comes to nutrition and what I'm supposed to do and, and that kind of thing. It is not information that causes transformation. It is. It starts with desire. Am I to the point where I am ready and want to do that? But we know that it just doesn't start, it, it doesn't end with desire, right? We all want to do different things. But then it has to go to practices. There are certain practices that we know that when we do certain things, it helps us along in growth, whatever that goal is. And so in our spiritual life, we know those practices are going to be reading God's Word, prayer, uh, solitude, unhurriedness, silence. Um, you know, the, these are the things that help us to grow. But we know, too, that if those practices are just uh, done by an act of will, they don't last long, do they? So they have to become habits. So desire is what we want. Practices are how we get there. Habits is how we can do the practices without thinking about it. And then the next thing is character. So if our end result is being like Christ, learning to live and love like Jesus, discipleship, then first we have to have the desire. Now listen, the scripture says we can't even have the desire without God putting it in our hearts. Mm -hmm. So we have to, to pray for that. But then understanding the practices, it's not um, like spiritual exercises, it's just to be, to be reminded of the goodness of God and what He has made available to it through, through adoption. So understanding that, let's talk quickly, because I think we can all understand desire. We all understand, have a good grasp of practices, this might be something that we have issue with, is, is creating habits. There is a great book, and, and if we're talking different hacks and stuff, let me encourage you to take advantage of the wealth of information that is out there for free through podcasts and, and on the internet, that kind of stuff, but also being willing to invest in things like Audible, where you're listening to books, um, or if you're more of a, a physical reader, you've got to have a book in front of you. There's a great book called Atomic Habits. But some of the things that, that um, the author talks about in Atomic Habits is it is um, there, there are different things that, that you can do. It's not about, uh, it's not about passion um, because every Olympic athlete that, that goes to, they, they all desire it, they all have a passion for it, but it is the habits they create that, that um, and, have, and passion doesn't always last. It's that willingness to push through the boredom, the monotony, the, you know, the whatever to get there. So he talks about different things like micro habits. A micro habit is just a little thing. So if you want to 
get um, physically healthy, one of the things you might say is, I want to go to the gym every day. And so a micro habit might look like, when you get home from work, put on your running shoes. And that's it. Okay, uh, And just do that for a while until then maybe you're, you, that next step would be going to the gym and spend five minutes in the gym. Those little bitty things that will help you to create a habit. Now, they used to say 21 days makes a habit. Then they said 44 days. Now they're saying it takes 66 days to create a habit. And what happens in brain science is those neural pathways that you use over and over and over and over uh, have this um, fatty substance called myelin. That, uh, that goes over, it kind of greases the wheels, in a sense, uh, to make that a default pattern in your life. So if you have a problem with anger, or language, or um, any kind of default, default thing that, that is your go-to, it is hard to break away from that. If you love desserts, if you love, you know, that, that is, is something that is going to be, so starting little habits like that, so micro habits, um, habit stacking is a good thing. So habit stacking is taking a habit that you already have and then putting a habit on top of it. So if you want to have devotions every morning and that's something that you struggle with because you forget, you, you, know, you want to make it easy, accessible, that sort of thing, what's a habit you already have? Well, a habit I already have is I get coffee in the morning. And so what I've done is to stack on top of that when I get my coffee, I go sit in this chair. My reading material is already there, and it's just it's it, I'm using the habit that I have to compound to create a new habit. Um, so that is habit stacking is one of the ways that that helps you. And then habit tracking, and and um, there are apps out there, or you can just kind of do your own thing, but just keeping track and say, you know, I did it this day, this day, this day, and just tracking, and, and it's almost kind of a sense of Yes, I did it. So if journaling is something that you want to do, micro journal, you know, uh, um, I have on my to-do list, short journal today, and it might be two sentences. Today I'm going to do this and this. Last night, this happened. And you're just kind of getting into this habit of, of doing that. Any, anybody want to jump in about habits that you, or ways that you have created habits or things that have helped you in setting and establishing habits. Okay. Um, let me talk quickly about, um, yeah, we gotta, we gotta move on. Um, let me talk quickly about the quiet and un unhurried life. Uh, Henry Nouwen has said, without silence, it is virtually impossible to grow in the spiritual life. Um, noise pollution is a huge thing in the last hundred years. There is noise going on around us all the time. But noise isn't just about sound. Noise is about that cell phone that is constantly uh, competing for your time and attention. When you respond to a text, when you, it, it, it sends a dopamine strike. That is part of that addictive uh, sense that you, know, you might need to, to, to have a place that is quiet that you can leave the cell phone somewhere else, that you can put it on airplane mode, spend some time in silence. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Brandon Cook, uh, in, in his book, Learning to Live in Love Like Jesus, asks, are you living at a speed that can allow you to be present with the people that God has given you to love? It's a great question. 
Are you practicing? Now, unhurried doesn't mean that you're not busy. It just means that you are, you are taking time in your day, in your morning or your evening, to be silent and let God speak and, and take some time to process. Um, let's talk about tools quickly in our, our time together. Let me share some of the tools that I use and then I want to hear from you uh, some of the tools that maybe you use as well. Um, having a few of the right tools is important. Um, when I first got my iPhone, um, you know, all these different free apps out there, um, it is so easy to get loaded up on apps. And then pretty soon, if you have like note-taking apps or uh, to-do list apps, and, and you've got information everywhere, uh, it, it, acts, it actually ends up not helping you. So find those few things where one thing does one thing and rely on those and uh, that will help you in your process. So for me, Evernote is that kind of dumping ground for great ideas or things that I am putting together or even staff meetings because it has a huge searchability function. Um, Very helpful. Evernote is free, but but it also has kind of the pro version, which is very um, worth getting. So, but there are other things that are that are free that are out there. Finding something where you can put stuff because there's a, um, a time management thing. Uh, getting things done is is one of those philosophies, and it's if you can take what's in here and put it somewhere that you can trust and know that you can find, it takes a lot of stress off of you. So for me, that's Evernote. Uh, the second thing is Nosby, which is a um, to-do list app. And being able to, and I will say this, in getting organized, there's a lot of upfront investment. Be willing to step back, sit with your spouse, if you have a spouse, and say, okay, what are our priorities? What are, what are some things that we need to make sure we whittle out and schedule? Um, and then when you look at your to-dos, where you just take a few hours and write down all the things that you have to do. Separating um, individual to-do things from projects. Problem is, when we have our to-do list and we say, plan disciple now, that's not one thing. <laughs> that is a lot of little things. So anything that is more than two steps is a project. And so whether it's through an app, whether it's through a spiral binder, um, write all your stuff down, but then put them into projects. And then, so you've ticked off everything. Uh, then what you do is just you have that and you draw from that only a few things at a time. So maybe six things at any given time that you write down. So when you look at your day, I get up in the morning, I go to work, I print out my day's calendar. There are some things that are already scheduled. There are some things that I know are most important. We call that the 80-20 principle. What is something that I can spend 20% of my time and it'll have 80% effectiveness in, and at the end of the day, I feel like, okay, we, I've accomplished something. What typically, typically ends up happening is I spend most of my day on the little things that are insignificant. And at the end of the day, I may have knocked off 20 things, but I'm like, yeah, I've kind of put off those things that were most important. So we call that the veggie principle. What are the two most important things for you to spend 45 minutes at a time working on? Do those in the morning. If you have, you know, when you get up in the morning, go to work, 
What's the first 45-minute block? That's your first veggie. Focus on that. Take a 15-minute break. Do your second veggie. And it might be a huge project, but if you're taking 45 minutes a day, you're going to see that whittle, and it's going to release your stress tremendously. Um, So uh, having that kind of, of an idea, and then calendaring, like I said, your calendar, you've got those things that are already set, Set your veggies from here to here. Um, Determine those things on your list that are just quick little items and maybe sandwich those in or say, I'm going to give myself 30 minutes to handle some quick stuff here. And because we're in ministry, we have to understand and not get frustrated that when people come and mess up, oh, look, I've got this list. I've got this calendar. It's beautiful. It was also, and then my pastor or a church member comes in and messes it all up. People are not interruptions, they're opportunities. So we have to keep that in mind. It is not about being, you know, um, completely effective in knocking off all those things. It is about being present in the moment when God puts someone in our path for us to minister to. So we need to understand that those things are priorities. Now, you might have some uh, usual suspects the habitual folks that will come in, whether they're other staff, whether they're youth workers, whether, and they will sit in your office, and they, they might be what James McDonald calls VDPs, very draining people. Um, you know, uh, figure out ways to kind of minister to, but set boundaries on those folks. Um, so I know when I was just starting out, and, and I had heard talks on, this guy from Disney and talking about five cents in your office and making it smell good and look beautiful. And, and, and people would come in and spend all kinds of time in there. I was like, I'm not getting anything done. So maybe you don't have a couch in your office. Maybe you don't have a, a comfy chair um, that, that you allow for times of ministry, but it's not a hangout spot. Um, any, anybody want to speak to tools that you're using, things that you have done as, as hacks to kind of help you in kind of whittling and managing your time. Team communications. I use Slack app. Okay. Slack yep. is like kind of a business app. Mm-hmm. A lot of teams use for project management. Yeah. I use it with my team. <coughs> Absolutely. Because um, like I said, I'm doing student ministry and college and new adult, adult ministry. Yeah. So I just kind of use Slack app. Yeah. Team communication. Absolutely. So what you might do is write down, these are the things that I do. Is there an app for that? You know, I mean, is there something, is there a hack? Is there something that will help me uh, in that in that area? And so if social media is something you have to do, but it doesn't maybe come naturally to you, maybe that's something you can hand off. Or maybe you use something like Buffer where you can... Um, do a lot of different things at one time and schedule when it goes out mm-hmm. and what platform it goes to. Um, that, that can be helpful because I don't always think about those things. Um, don't feel like you have to reinvent the wheel. That is huge, especially if you're a young minister. Um, man, when I was young, I felt like I had to show off my creativity. There are resources out there that are brilliant. Okay, I um, When I hit the ground running this last year, I learned of a a curriculum um, called Grow. And Grow is like a year of Wednesday night programming Bible study for big group, for small group, questions, um, all that kind of stuff. There was a part of me that had to fight this idea of, oh, I'm cheating or I'm slacking or I'm, 
But now I'm like, you know what? That frees me up to, one, put in the hands of my adults questions for Wednesday night on Monday. It gives me a, a topic for a month that I can work with some of my kids who are called into ministry and say, all right, I want you to do the games. Um, here's, I have enough time to look at it and personalize it. So there are some great ones out there. Curriculum stuff, real quick. Who is used something that you're like, this is fantastic? All right. I, I would recommend Grow, but I know Orange <laughs> has very good stuff as well. Um, there, there's good stuff out there. Don't feel like you have to, to, to create everything. I think even if you don't use Grow, if you use um, Grow's yearly planning Can, video, yes, calendar it, planning. It is it is the best success anybody, and it's on YouTube, so you don't have to buy Grow. Right, right. You know. Yeah, it's basically um, you look at the areas of your ministry to parents, youth workers, kids, um, and and you take your calendar and a, a bunch of post-it notes, different colors for each thing, and you let your folks brainstorm, all right, what kind of stuff do parents need? What can we do for parents? What do we need to do when it comes to fellowships? What about ministry projects? What about, And you just let them, and then you start kind of putting them on the calendar. What are some topics? And so, yeah, that is, that's a phenomenal thing. We did that this year, and my adults loved it. I loved it, too, to be able to say, I already know in Jan, you know, through January what we're talking about, who's giving the talk, what we're doing every single week. I did not have that last week. I feel like I'm getting traction. So, yeah, that's huge. All right. Any questions and anything else? All right. Guys, we are past our time. Um, let me see if there's anything that if I, if I don't say it, I'm going to panic or feel like I've cheated you. Um, just the idea of creating systems. Anything that tends to be a, a recurring fire or a recurring problem or a blind spot in your ministry, like you forget, what are some systems that you can create? Sometimes it's just putting an, a, a recurring item on your to-do list or on your calendar. Sometimes it's just handing something off where you don't have to worry about it. But um, guys, listen. God has called you to a high calling. Those of you who are married, that high calling is to be a spouse. That is huge. God established the family before He established the church. Okay? Your witness hinges on how you treat your family. If you're, you can't be a deacon if, you don't, if you're not the, the husband of one wife, which translated means a one-woman kind of guy. You can't be... Um, you know, if, if, you're, if you're, you're not spending time with your kids and don't love on your kids... You disqualify yourself if you don't get those things first. Um, you've been a call to a high calling of the gospel. And you, uh, many of you are doing it with so many other things that you're juggling. I hope that something, whether it's one or two or three things that you, uh, from your discussions in your small group or some of the things that we talked in here, like I said, an hour and 15 minutes doesn't scratch the surface for all the things that we could talk about. Um, I'll be here for the next little bit if you want to share with me or ask questions. Um, but thank y'all. I hope this is a great uh, weekend for you. I hope that you just hear some stuff that, that you need to hear, that resonates with you, that feeds you, uh, that blesses you and encourages you. Let me pray, and then we'll head out. Father, I thank you for these men and women who are called about your, your work and your purposes. And Father, uh, it is very real in our culture to feel swamped. 
to feel like um, we are treading water and there, there is no way we can get it all done. We ask, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, that you would help us to see first what are the most important things, what you've called us to, what you've put us over, um, who we should be listening to, the expectations that are most important. And Father, help us to have the, incur- the, the courage to follow that path. Father, help us also to, to learn wise ways to, to move forward in what we do, to bring people alongside, to have a team that we can celebrate their strengths and be okay with our weaknesses. And Father, we know that you're glorified through that and your church is a church because of it. God, I just thank you for uh, these little technologies that we have access to that, that previous generations didn't. And God, we need them because we're going at a pace that previous generations never did. But uh, Lord, we do want to continually hearken back to those old practices of unhurriedness, of silence, of contemplation, of giving you time to work in our hearts and in our lives so that we can be your ambassadors. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. Absolutely. Y'all have a great conference. And uh, thank y'all for being here.